People have so many different reasons for wanting to learn a new language. Maybe you have an upcoming trip or just want to pick up a new hobby or a skill or just connect with a new culture. I know for me, when I was abroad in Barcelona in college, I'm not going to say that I was fluent in Spanish, but I definitely got to the point where I felt really confident conversing. And when I got home, my dad said to me, Emmy, if you don't use it, you're going to lose it. And he was so right. Like I entirely lost it. So Rosetta Stone has been really helpful for me. So if you are in that same boat or you want to learn a new language completely, you want to brush up your skills, whatever it is, I want to tell you about Rosetta Stone because they're the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. And it really kind of immerses you in the language that you want to learn. So first of all, they're the trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered. It's fast language acquisition. So they immerse you in many ways. First of all, there's no English translation. So you really learn to speak, listen, and think in that language, which in my experience, I know I'm getting it when I start to think in the language. It's an intuitive process. So you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. And it's designed for long-term retention. Also, in terms of speech recognition, they have a built-in true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation and it's convenient. So desktop and app options with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. And it's an amazing value. You're getting lifetime access to all 25 language courses Rosetta Stone has to offer for 50% off, which is a steal. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Comments by Celebs listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash comments. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash comments today. Hi guys, I'm Emma. And I'm Julie. And welcome to our first Kardashian bonus show of 2023. Hey, Jewel. God, that felt good. Especially because every week we always wish that there's enough content to be able to do a separate episode. And first week of 2023, that happens in a big way. Well, in the last episode, I was saying, like, I'm so excited for all of the pop culture events and all of the major stories that are going to break in 2023. And I'm just so happy that we can be on this Kardashian bonus show so I can cut the bullshit and just say, when I say that, I obviously mean all of the Kardashian events that are going to take place this year. There's nothing that makes me feel more comforted than knowing that anyone who is listening to this genuinely wants to hear about them. Like It's a very safe feeling. This is my safest place. My safest place every week, like hands down. No, no question. So what we're going to get into today is a lot of interviews, a lot of content that came out this week. Of course, we'll talk about the Christmas party. But the first thing we need to get into immediately, if not sooner, is this Lamar Odom special from TMZ that you guys, we watched it together last night and we have really refrained from talking about it so we can discuss it here. But you need to watch or if you don't want to watch you, you got to listen to this because there was so much here, a lot that we already knew, but explained in a different way. And I am dying to get into it. I mean, they had me at the title, TMZ presents Lamar Odom, Sex, Drugs, and Kardashians. Like I'm, I'm already sold. They had me at TMZ presents colon. Well, I have to tell you, and I know I kind of said this last night, to TMZ's credit, this is the exact way that I wanted this information presented to me. Meaning, were there elements of the narration that were a little bit cheesy? Totally. And were there certain things that were very clickbaity? Absolutely. But honestly, it was 43 minutes of content that I genuinely cared about. And that's what I want. Like, don't give me two hours where I have to extract the most interesting 45 minutes. To me, this was cutting the fluff and genuinely just giving the most interesting pieces. To TMZ's credit, yes. But like, to Lamar's credit, I mean, he didn't beat around the bush with anything. Yes, there were things that he was a little vague about like when he kind of repeatedly says like you know 
the shit that happened was crazy. Like you don't even know, like the stuff you know is crazy. The stuff you don't know is even crazier. Like, yes, he didn't give us every single detail, but we would have sat there for 12 hours if he had. But by the way, I could have, like, I could have listened to Lamar explain this time period and actually gone for seven years, day by day, explaining every single thing that happened, every noteworthy thing and not gotten sick of that at all. No, especially because even though we do know a lot of it, there's so much that we don't know and specifically hearing it from him in this way. But I think something that would be helpful is just to kind of give a general timeline overview to make sure we're all on the same page because really what we're talking about is over the course of seven years. We start out in 2009 when they're married. He gets traded to the Mavs in 2011. Their show, Chloe and Lamar, is 2011 to 2012. She files for divorce 2013. The overdose is 2015. And they're officially divorced in 2016, three years after she had initially filed. But I want to zone in on something, which I know we're going totally out of order here, but this just feels so important to me. There is a moment they're talking about from November 2013, and it was Lamar posting a video to Instagram where he's very much under the influence, and he's doing kind of a freestyle rap about cheating on Chloe. And this was apparently the final incident that kind of led her to file for divorce. But I have to tell you, when I watched that video come up, it hit me that I had totally forgotten about that until this moment. I don't know if it's because I blocked it out or what it was, but that was way fuzzier than it should have been because that was a huge deal. There was a big gap in my knowledge, not in my knowledge, in my memory of that time period. And I think that one of the reasons that is the case is because the Chloe and Lamar that we were watching on their show was not the Chloe and Lamar that was happening in real life. And so I think when I think of my memory of that time, I'm thinking of the show version of them and not the TMZ news notification version of them. Because think about it, like, the first season of Chloe and Lamar airs 2011. The second season airs 2012. What we're watching is a year behind what is actually happening. And so when they're talking about in this documentary that he gets traded to the Mavs in 2011, and that's when things start to kind of go downhill for him, and he starts to slide back into drugs, and he's in a really dark period, that's not the version of Lamar that we had just seen airing in the show. Well, right. And I think something really important to keep top of mind as we discuss this is no, Chloe did not have a full understanding really of the extent of his drug use, but it wasn't as though the overdose in 2015 or even this video posted on his Instagram in 2013 was her first understanding that he was doing drugs. You know, he even says here, I had to tell her, you can't hide that forever. He's like, drugs, that was my girlfriend and I had a wife. He's like, I had a wife and I had cocaine. And he talks about how he told Chloe what was going on and she wasn't dismissive. She was very supportive. You know, he even recalls a night where he was cheating on her with another woman and he was so high that the other woman called Chloe to say, you got to come get him because she kind of felt like he was at risk of potentially harming himself. And so I guess in terms of the conversation of how we view it now versus how we view it at the time, I remember feeling like Chloe was far more in the dark about his drug use than she really was. And I have known that over the past few years, but hearing him talk about it, it painted a far clearer picture to me just how aware she was, even before filing for divorce. You know, she was willing to work on it with him. You know, I remember it being a really big thing that Chloe was trying to protect 
Lamar and anybody else from finding out about what was happening behind closed doors to the point where it wasn't just the public finding out. She really held a lot of information from her family. And I remember this coming out after the fact that it was a very isolating time for her because she was not telling them what was going on with Lamar. She wasn't giving them any details. And obviously, as things progressed, they found out more and more, and she was kind of forced to share more and more. But I think that the sheer fact that she had attempted to do that when it seems like things had just gotten so far away from the both of them just showed how much she loved and protected and cared about him. Like she was really willing to do anything to kind of make this work and keep him safe and protect their marriage. And it just, when you watch this interview, you realize like it was just never going to be possible for her to be able to do that. And I think the thing with that video, the reason that it was the final straw was like, that was the full representation of this is just too far gone. Like I am going to bed every single day trying to keep your secret and trying to protect you. And you're out here on Instagram embarrassing me. Well, right. I mean, there were so many different elements at play here because of course there was the denial of the whole thing. There was the fact that I think she felt she could be the one to fix this situation. There was the embarrassment. There was also the commitment she felt to this being her forever person and wanting to hold on to what they had at the beginning of their relationship. And then on top of it, you know, as much as she did know, there was a lot that she didn't know. And I wonder how the timeline would have been altered if she really knew the full extent of it earlier on. It maybe wouldn't have been at all, but it it could have been. You know, when I think about this situation, and I promise this isn't just like a projection of, of the way that I would handle something, But there is always that part of me that wonders how much of the attempt to really make the marriage work when it just so clearly was past the point of no return with Lamar and his cheating and the drug abuse and just how terrible he was to Chloe during this time. I'm curious if there was a part of Chloe that tried so hard to make it work because she didn't want to have to face what people were going to say about the fact that she married him after only knowing him 30 days. Right. I mean, who knows how much of a role that really did play, but I'm sure in the equation of it all, that factored in somewhere. I mean, we were just watching those old episodes of Kardashians where she really was going to bat with Caitlyn, for example, about the whole situation. And Caitlyn was a member of her family. I mean, that was regarded by the public and the rest of the world and other people very close to her, not just people she didn't know as a completely outrageous move. So I do think there was a pride element, but I also genuinely believe that they had a really deep connection. Like I will maintain this to this day. And of course, what do I know? I think the connection that she had with Lamar in their best days, hands down beats any connection she and Tristan had at the best of their best. The way that I feel about it, and I mean this with 100% percent sincerity, honesty, a hundred percent. I mean what I'm about to say. Had Lamar been sober during their marriage and had, of course, that not led to him cheating on Chloe and had there been no sex addiction at play, none of those factors existed. I do believe that they would still be together. I agree. And I know at this point it's a nonsense conversation because that's not what happened. So we're basically painting an alternate reality, but I do believe their bond was real. I mean, I want to get into the actual overdose because there were certain things he said here that I wasn't entirely familiar with. Yeah, let's let's talk about it. 
So Mother's Day is coming up. And I know sometimes it can be difficult figuring out what to get your mom because realistically, no gift is going to do justice for how much you love and appreciate her. But I'm sure you've done the classic, you know, bathrobe, candle, sweaters, gift cards. If you're looking to mix it up, I want to tell you about Aura Frames. So they were named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter. And it's just the kind of gift that is guaranteed to bring joy because realistically, there's nothing our parents love more than seeing us. So for them to be able to see more of us, even if you don't live close by, like that is probably the best gift you could give a parent. They're Wi-Fi connected. They come with unlimited storage. So you can share as many photos as you want from your phone to your mom's frame. And it's easy to set up. It takes about two minutes to set up a frame using the Aura app. We have one in my kitchen and... Every time my dad comes down for breakfast, like it just makes him so happy. There's pictures of me, pictures of me and my parents when I was little, pictures of my grandparents. Like I think as a parent, you never get sick of that. And it's just the kind of gift I know she will love. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code CBC at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. So the weather is finally getting a little warmer. And one of the most fun parts about the seasons changing is kind of the wardrobe revamp that comes along with that. And if you're looking to update your wardrobe without spending a fortune, I want to introduce you to Quince because I really think that they do quality essentials kind of better than anyone I found. And I've told you guys about them before, but specifically as the weather is getting warmer, their linen dresses, like such an easy throw on, so comfortable, such good quality. To me, if you put on a linen dress with a pair of white sneakers, a little cardigan over your shoulders, to me, that is such a chic look. Also, their washable silk blouses. They are so comfortable, but you look so put together. They have great like scoop neck t-shirts, just comfortable, easy staples. Like that is what I like about them. I think that you can really build just a quality wardrobe collection with their essentials. And the best part is that all Quinn's items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. So by partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and then passes those savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. Get warm rather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash CBC for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash CBC to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash CBC. So something really important to note is that Chloe initially filed for divorce in 2013. It wasn't until two years later in 2015 when he signed the papers. So that same day that he signs the papers, he then gets on a plane to Crystal, Nevada, where he goes to this brothel called the Bunny Ranch. There's a little bit of a discrepancy between whether it's the Bunny Ranch or the Love Ranch. In the interview, they call it the Bunny Ranch. and a lot of the reports, it's the Love Ranch. Either way, a ranch in Nevada. He gets there, he hands them his credit card. He says, charge it for 75 grand. I don't know how long I'm going to be here. I want to be taken care of. Keep this on the DL. That same day is the day when two women go up to his room and find him in serious condition, foaming at the mouth. Of course, they call in emergency services. He's transported to the hospital and you know everything takes place from there on. But to have that knowledge is so important that the same day he signed the papers is the day that he got on the plane, got there, charged at 75 grand, the overdose happened. And something he says in this interview is that he genuinely believes that Dennis Hoff, who's the owner of this ranch, drugged him and wanted to kill him because he says, they found cocaine in my system. I did not do cocaine that day. Like He maintains the fact that yes, he was using drugs at a very high rate during that time. But he says for 100% fact, from his memory, he did not do drugs that day. He felt that he was drugged. 
Dennis Hoff has since passed away, but they showed a clip of him where, you know, he does not view that to be the case. And even when Harvey presses Lamar on why Dennis would want to do that to him, he doesn't really have an answer. But I do think that that's just an interesting element to note. Well, one of the craziest parts of the entire interview is when Lamar is talking about how he is sure as day that he did not do drugs that night and that Dennis Hoff was trying to kill him, that it was Dennis Hoff's fault that he ended up in the state that he was in. And they cut to a video that Dennis Hoff makes where he's sitting with two women and he's saying, and this is after the overdose happened, he's saying, you know, Lamar, you know, whenever you're feeling ready and recovered, it's, I've got a room and girls on me, like, don't worry, we'll take care of you. Like that, I had never seen that video before. No, what a creep that guy was. Oh, oh. But again, like, it's so interesting watching this interview because all of it was so fascinating to me. Like, even the stuff that didn't include Chloe, his life growing up, his you know, NBA career, like every element of Lamar's life has something that was really fascinating to it. But when they delve into the aftermath of the overdose and the recovery, I mean, first of all, I don't think we ever really forget, but God was I reminded what a miracle it was that he survived that and came out okay. I mean, he had multiple strokes, multiple heart attacks. They told him he was never even going to be able to walk or speak again, let alone be in the condition that he's in now, which he seems to be doing really, really great. I mean, it is miraculous. No, it was nothing short of a miracle. And I think that's something he's very aware of today. But yes, pre-Chloe, there was a lot that went on in his life. He lost his mother at a very young age. His father was addicted to heroin. He loses his infant son due to sudden infant death syndrome after he's traded to the Mavs, which I think you know, when, when I list that in comparison to what I just listed, it may sound very minor, but I think for him, it really shook him up. He had been, you know, so committed to the Lakers for so long. And I think that was kind of representative of him not being at the same point in his career that he had previously been that same year, his cousin is killed, who he was very close to. I mean, he went through a lot. And I honestly think, you know, when you hear him talk about his life, that was another reason that he was so drawn to the Kardashians. They were this big family that he never really had. Chris was this mother figure that he was longing for. Even, you know, we talk so much about how Lamar was the brother that Rob never have, but Rob was the brother that Lamar never had, you know? And and he speaks about that time in his life so fondly, even when he's talking about how, yes, he was very famous in his own right, but he is very aware and has no pride in saying that dating and then marrying a Kardashian kept him relevant. And he's deeply and was at the time even deeply grateful to that. You know, and I say this not to discount at all the relationship he had with Chloe because I don't think that it does. But when you talk about the fact that being traded to the Mavericks from the Lakers compared to a lot of the other events in his life was relatively minor. And again, I agree with you, it totally was. But the way that Lamar talks about fame that was also a drug for him. And so the trade from the Lakers being like the king of LA, married to a Kardashian, like just in it, like so deeply in the scene, so part of it, so at the epicenter of it, to then being traded to Dallas 
that was a huge shakeup of his entire world. And he, like you said, talks about what it was like to be married to a Kardashian. And I think he says something along the lines of like, you know, he was always considered to be a celebrity, but this catapulted him. And I think that was something that he was really, really addicted to. So, you know, going to Dallas and leaving that LA life behind. Yes, he was still married to a Kardashian. Yes, he was still a big ball player, although he had his struggles when he was traded. It was almost like a withdrawal period for him. And it was a really dark time in his life. And that was kind of the start of it all for him. But, you know, I have to say what's really interesting too is going back to all of the losses that Lamar has suffered. I was so fascinated by the fact that they never mentioned Jamie in this. I I was too, because if you guys remember, you know, Jamie was a huge part of his life. It was for anyone who's not familiar, Jamie was his absolute best friend back in middle school or high school. And, you know, one of the plot lines of some of the episodes of Chloe and Lamar is that Chloe kind of felt that they had a little bit of a maybe parasitic relationship is a good way to put it. You know, she kind of felt as though Jamie was mooching off of Lamar, and that was definitely a little bit of a source of contention between Chloe and Lamar. But there was the baseline understanding that they were brothers. And when Jamie passed away, I mean, that was devastating to him. It was it was clearly a choice to not mention that. Well, you know, Jamie's death plays a huge role in the timeline of things. I mean, in June 2015, Jamie dies from a bacterial skin infection that was caused as a result of using unclean needles. And then just a couple of months later, in October 2015, is when Lamar finally, two years after the fact, signs the divorce papers from Chloe and checks into the brothel where he would eventually overdose. I mean, those two things are so linked just from the timeline alone. I was so shocked that it wasn't mentioned at all. I mean, his name was literally not mentioned, although he was shown. You know, that video where Lamar is rapping about Chloe that led to the divorce, Jamie's the person in that video. I know. And I have to imagine that Lamar sat down with Harvey ahead of the interview and said that is one thing that is entirely off limits. It's the only feasible explanation as to why someone that was a massive presence in his life and someone whose death was potentially a catalyst for the overdose was left out so conveniently. It's the only reason. Wait, you want to know another thing that I thought was so interesting? When he's talking about how when they were initially presented with the idea of doing their own reality show that he asked Kobe, you know, he didn't say I asked Kobe's permission, but he kind of did. Like he had a very real understanding of the fact that your game on the field can be very easily impacted by what's going on in your life. And I think that he wanted to make sure that Kobe wouldn't view it as a distraction for him and just get his take. I mean, it's obviously someone that he deeply respected. And he said, you know, Kobe said, as long as you're going to do it, do it. And so I, I was also just interesting to hear almost his relationship with reality TV because so many times when you see someone who went through a very dark period, they look back and they'll talk about how doing the reality show was such a negative experience and potentially you know, led to their downfall. And he doesn't view it like that. I still believe that he views that time in his life and the way that Chris managed things and the way that the money was coming in and the way that their life was set up to be shown. I don't think that he views that as a negative or has any resentment there. It was so interesting hearing Lamar talk about Kobe too, because there's a story that Lamar told that he was in really bad 
with, you know, his debts and mainly his gambling debts in Vegas. And he caught, had, he had to swallow his pride at one point and call Kobe and ask him for help and ask him for money. And he said that was actually the last time that he had spoken to Kobe. Even just hearing that is so devastating. I often think if we as the public and even me and you who are by no means Lakers fans had such a strong reaction of heartbreak to Kobe's loss, what that must have felt like to someone like Lamar, who was not only a friend, not only a brother, but such an inspiration. And like, it's one thing to gain inspiration from someone that you don't know. It is so much more powerful to gain inspiration from someone that you know well, because you never have to worry about the meeting your heroes thing. Like how cool is it when it's not only a hero you met, it's a hero that you know well. And they clearly had that relationship where Kobe was a hero to him that to hear you say that it, it, I mean, talk about another another death in Lamar's life that I think must have just been so heartbreaking for him. Oh, fuck, that is so sad. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, I it's one of the most upsetting things that I can think of. Mm, truly, it really, yeah, yeah. You know, the other thing I did want to mention is when they kind of move into current day and they're talking about Chloe and he's asked if a reconciliation could ever be possible, which. We know is not going to happen, but we also know he would be down for it in, in a half a second. And he says, you know, he doesn't feel he should reach out to her. He's like, I'm not a loser and I feel like I lost. I would love to just take Chloe out to dinner, but I'm too shy and I'm also a Scorpio and I hate being told no or being denied. I'm afraid, which I think is true. I think he, he knows, one, the trauma that he caused her and two, the level of betrayal that she probably feels, even though I don't believe she harbors any resentment for him. But it's like – if I'm being my most honest, which is honestly kind of embarrassing to say, like, of course, 1 million percent, I know that they will never get back together, nor should they. But like, I had a split second moment where I turned to you last night and I was like, there's no way. And before I even got the sentence out, you were like, no. But like, I had a split second of like, is there a world where five years down the line, they end up together? And they it, they don't, and they shouldn't. But it's just, I don't know. I had so many thoughts going through my head. I know you almost can't help yourself, especially when you see how he is now, because I do think he's the same charming Lamar that we once knew. I don't think he's the same person as he was when him and Chloe first got married, and that's maybe for the best, but I think as a result of that, they just they just can't. Like and I, I actually have to say that when I was reminded of what actually went on during the course of their relationship, I lost that feeling. Like when I watch Chloe and Lamar, especially that first season, I'm like, I need them together tomorrow. When I watched this and I was really reminded of those gaps in my knowledge and gaps in my memory of what went on, I would I left being like, there's no part of me that ever wants them back together, like even for a minute. However, however, if I had the choice, I would want him and Rob to be able to rekindle their relationship yesterday. I know. And I remember we had wondered if there had been any communication, but after watching this, I really don't think that there had been, especially because we forget, you know, so much of the dynamic we see is Chloe being so protective of Rob, but Rob is also extremely protective of Chloe. And I think not only did he feel betrayed by Lamar himself, but, you know, his protection over Chloe, I'm sure has not allowed him to have a relationship with Lamar anymore, which is completely understandable. But I, I still don't believe that any one of the members of that family would say he's a bad guy. Like I actually believe that even after everything, they would speak more kindly of Lamar than they ever would about Tristan. Again, they're not speaking negatively about either of them in public. I'm saying like if they're talking alone, sitting down, it's Kim, Kylie, and Chris. 
I still think they would say a million more nice things about Lamar than they would about Tristan. I, I think so too. I really do. What do you think Chloe thinks of of this interview? Do you think she watched it? Do you think that she has any opinions about him doing it? I was trying to think about that last night and I think Kim watched it and I think Kim watched it first to kind of brace Chloe and then she was able to call her and be like, I promise you it's not bad. He could not speak more highly of the family. Like he's just really honest. He's telling his story, you know, can't fault him for that. And then I think Chloe probably watched it. The only thing though, I'm glad you asked that question because I wanted to ask your opinion on this. When they're talking about the Soul Cycle incident, which for anyone who's not familiar, in 2015, before the overdose, but this was after Chloe had filed for divorce, almost two years after, he explains how he really just wanted to see Chloe. And he contacted Chris to see if it was possible for him to see Chloe. And she told him, go to this Soul Cycle class. This is where Chloe is going to be. And he gets there and then you know, paparazzi come out. He feels very set up. There was that viral video of him where he's kind of going off on one of the photographers saying, you know, why is it made to look like, like I'm some creep stalker. That's not the case. And he says, how do you think I got here? How do you think I just ended up at a random soul cycle? I'm not stalking her. I obviously had communication from an inside source. And that's the only time in the documentary that he speaks a little bit negatively about Chris, because I think he felt frustrated by wondering why she would, you know, set him up in his eyes. Yeah, I was curious about that as well. When I look at the timeline of things, again, in in relation to the overdose, that incident occurred a couple of months before. Like that incident occurred August 2015. The overdose was October 2015. The only thing that I can think of is that that was set up and that Chris did play a role in that, but it was almost to force him to sign those divorce papers because keeping in mind when that incident happened, he hadn't signed them and he signed them right before he overdosed. And so I do think that maybe setting up that situation and that incident happening to the public and the public seeing or maybe thinking that Lamar was stalking Chloe or that there was she was in some sort of danger – was really something that pushed along the signing of those papers. And so I could see a scenario in which Chris thought that through and allowed that to take place in order to kind of move things forward. Again, I have no knowledge of that, obviously, but it is a theory that would make sense to me. Oh, I could absolutely see Chris doing that. I mean, first and foremost, she is a mastermind. And second to that, if not first to that, is she's deeply protective over her children. So again, what the fuck do we know? But in my mind, if setting him up in that way and getting him mad in that way was in her eyes going to expedite the divorce process, I totally think that's that's a move that she would have pulled. Because I, when he's talking, I'm, I agree with him. How else would he have known that Chloe was going to be there? To me, that does seem like the work of Kris Jenner. And I think it's probably something that Chris, you know, maybe not right now, but like wouldn't totally deny. You know what I always think about too, mm. um, which wasn't mentioned in the documentary, but when Kendall talks about finding out about the overdose and how she was on a plane and the first TMZ notification that came through was that Lamar was dead and her like range of emotions in trying to get information and figure out what was actually happening. I always think about that story from her point of view. Well, right. I mean, I think they were all so traumatized by that entire experience, which by the way, something we have not harped on enough is the fact that when everything happened, not only did Chloe pause the 
divorce proceedings at that time so she could fully take care of him. But she moved into the hospital. I mean, she was living in his hospital room, barely leaving for a month. And then after she moved him to the house next to her so that she could continue to take care of him. And then, you know, after he was healed, he started doing drugs again. And it wasn't until 2016, the year after the overdose, when the divorce was refiled and, and officially done. But talk about a ride or die. That is the definition of Chloe. Oh, I mean, that's Chloe to a T. Like no one was surprised by that. And even in the aftermath, looking back, there's not one ounce of me that's surprised by that still. But I do think it really goes to show that despite everything, despite everything, there was still a part of Chloe that deep down considered Lamar to be a good person. Because I do not think for one second that Lamar could have put Chloe through what he put her through. And if she didn't think that there was still um, redemption for him somewhere, that she would have helped him in the way that she did. Not that she wouldn't have been there for him. Not that she wouldn't have cared for them. Not that maybe she even wouldn't have you know contributed anything monetarily that he needed knowing that he was struggling financially and anything that she could have done to help that time be easier for him that she wouldn't have done it. All of those things 100%. But the love that she had for him in some capacity was clearly there for her to care for him in the way that she did. Cause she went above and beyond what she had to do. Yes, she did. And it's, I can't even imagine the complexity of emotions that she felt during that time. And honestly, probably still feels also unrelated to Chloe, but one of the craziest anecdotes he described is how after the overdose, you know, he was really struggling financially. And so he sold his championship rings. And he says, I can't even remember how much I got for them, maybe a couple hundred thousand dollars. And a few years later, he's out and a Lakers fan comes up to him and says, I have your rings. I got to get them back to you. And the fan gives him the rings. He doesn't even sell them to him. He gives him back the rings. And you know, he, he's wearing them. And he says, I think I wear these more now than I ever did when I had them the first time. And that was a moment that really, holy shit, yeah, that was an incredible anecdote. Oh my god! You know, I have to, I have to wonder. Going back to the um, conversation about the fact that Lamar kind of returned to drugs for a little bit after the overdose, I do wonder if that if there was any part of their relationship that could have been salvaged had that not been the case. Like, had Chloe caring for him and nursing him back to health, and maybe their bond being renewed as a result of that, if they ever would have gotten back together had Lamar stayed clean after that, or if it really, no matter what had happened there, was 100% done. The only reason that I could even entertain the thought that maybe they could have gone back together or she would have taken him back after everything is because I think Chloe is a deeply spiritual and religious person. And I could almost see her having the mindset of like, this was clearly you know, meant to be. Like her, her almost getting in touch with the miracle of his survival and somehow in her mind making that association to like what this means for them in their future. I don't know. I mean, I'm completely putting words in her mouth in a way that she may have never felt. But I'm saying if you're asking me, could that thought process have ever entered her mind prior to him, you know, going back to doing drugs? That's the route that I go down in my mind in terms of what she may have been thinking. Again, who the fuck knows? That's just my thought or a thought. Yeah, totally. I could see that. Anyway, we have a lot of other things to get into, but I just, 
it was 43 minutes of like really interesting content. And I, no matter who the person is, I will always respect transparency. And I deeply respect the lack of pride and the transparency with which he talks about such a traumatic time. Me too. Fifty high school senior girls descend on Mobile, Alabama every summer to compete for a massive cash prize. It isn't Survivor. It's one of America's most lucrative scholarship competitions for teen girls. It's been around for seven decades. Now you'll hear what took place behind the scenes. From Pineapple Street Studios and Wondery comes the competition. Host Shima Oliai was Nevada's contestant 20 years ago. Now she's returning as a judge to find out what two weeks with 50 of the country's most ambitious teens can tell us about girlhood in America. What happens when the competitors are thrown into the deep end with the best and brightest? And how does surviving the competition prepare them for everything that comes after? Follow the competition on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of the competition early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. So I know we're all kind of operating at a different skill level when it comes to makeup. Like I have some friends who they do their makeup and it looks like they got it professionally done. I have others who know nothing about any products. And then I would say I'm somewhere in the middle, like by no means am I very skilled, but I think I can hold my own. And in terms of my everyday, I'm just doing mascara, lip gloss, and maybe a little bit of highlighter on my inner corner. So if I'm only using a few products, I need them to be excellent. And I've recently been very into the Thrive Cosmetics mascara, which I'll tell you about in a second, but just in general, a note on the company. For every product purchase, Thrive Cosmetics donates products and funds to help communities thrive, which I just love knowing that I'm buying from a company that does that. And in terms of their mascara, so it's the Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara. You guys have seen that. It's the viral turquoise tube. I've saw it all over social media before I ever started using it. And it's a unique formula that creates tubes around each eyelash to lengthen them. It's also super easy to remove. So it slides right off with warm water. It doesn't leave smudges. And the ingredients are really nourishing. So they support longer, stronger, and healthier looking lashes over time. It really just gets the job done. Like you will see what I mean when you try it. Refresh your everyday look with Thrive Cosmetics, luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 10% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash CBC. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash CBC for 10% off your first order. Okay, so Kim was on two podcasts last week, Angie Martinez's IRL podcast and Gwyneth Scoop podcast, which we're not going to do a full recap of a podcast on a podcast. I you know, it's definitely worth listening to both of those yourselves. But a few things we just need to talk about is we have been constantly asking ourselves, what does it look like in the home in terms of managing everything that has been going on with Kanye and then how information is or is not related to the children? And she makes it so clear to say, my kids know nothing. And she says, and I quote, I definitely protected him and I still will in the eyes of my kids for my kids. So in my home, my kids don't know anything that goes on in the outside world. And I managed to, I'm holding on by a thread. While it's still that way, I will protect that to the end of the earth as long as I can. My kids, they don't know anything. At school, some of my best friends are the teachers. So I know what goes on at recess, at lunchtime. None of the kids have ever said anything to my kids. North has a TikTok account on my phone and my phone only. They're just not on social media. When stuff's going down, I protect stuff in the house as far as the TVs and the content that's on. We were just talking about that a few weeks ago. And so to hear her, you know, outline that so clearly was interesting to me. You know, a thought that I had and that a lot of people had that maybe we didn't necessarily think of at the time, but it's a really interesting discussion to think about the fact that 
Mason is 13 and Mason is on his phone and Mason has friends at school and Mason is clearly not immune to hearing all of the stuff that Kanye has said. And Mason just celebrated his bar mitzvah and Scott's and Courtney's kids are half Jewish. And so that's another element of the way that that plays into Kim eventually, once this stuff does come to light, and it will, having to talk to her kids about it. I also think, though, that Mason is at the age where that is absolutely a conversation that he has had with probably Courtney and Kim together in terms of Oh, really yeah. making it clear to set that boundary in in terms of his communication with North. Like I, I, I feel that way. I do because it's impossible to think that he wouldn't know what's going on. And I think that they've had to be really intentional with explaining like almost, you know, talking to him like he has kind of this responsibility to help her in protecting them. And I don't know what that looks like. We'll never get that full insight, but it's something, you know, to think about. Oh, absolutely. I was a little caught off guard by Kim breaking down in this interview and not because, obviously not because we've never seen Kim cry or not because I wouldn't expect her to be understandably emotional about talking about the subject of Kanye. I just, she hasn't done that very minimally on the show, let alone someone else's podcast. And so to have seen the clips before I even watched the full interview, I was like so taken aback by seeing how emotional she was. No, I know. I mean, you could see she is really going through it. And what we saw there, I don't want to say it's a crack in the facade because I think that has a connotation that she's being disingenuous, which I don't believe her to be, but it was almost a crack in this strong kind of stoic nature that she has put on when discussing all things Kanye. And it gave a glimpse into what's really going on internally. And then when she's talking about the realities of co-parenting and she really starts to get emotional when she says, you know, I had the best dad and like, that's all I want for my kids as long as I can have that. That really hit me because like, I'm trying to think how I want to phrase this. I think it has to be put really delicately, but there's no part of me that believes Kim regrets marrying Kanye because at the end of the day, she got her children, like the four greatest joys in her entire life that she would not trade for the entire world. That being said, I think when you have a parent that you hold in such a high regard and know is held by the masses with so much respect and exhibit so much humility, I wonder if there's a part of her that's deeply saddened by the fact that her kids or she maybe feels her kids won't have that in the sense of like, the Kanye that she married is not regarded in the same way by the world that he was years ago. And I, I just think that that is very painful for her. Like, I think it's, it's something that brings her a lot of sadness. And that's what you were seeing here. I mean, a lot of this was not, not just a, not a crack in the facade. Like you said, I don't know what the best way to word that is, but it was almost like the first time to the public she was allowing herself to feel and understand what is happening. And it's not even like she was allowing herself to experience the full range of emotions associated with that, because I don't think she would have been able to get through the interview. But I think it was the first time that she allowed herself to say like, I'm going to talk about this subject. I'm allowed to be emotional about it. And it's not going to be 
It's not like she's on an episode where she's really taking us through it and therefore allowing herself to be emotion for the purpose of storytelling and for the show. It was like, I'm allowed to be emotional because what I'm talking about elicits these emotions. And I, I don't think we're used to seeing that with her. No, and it's something that I really appreciate. I actually think that Kim is her best self when she does show that because we know, we know that she is the calm in the storm. That's something she has proven time and time again. And sometimes it's okay to show that even the person that brings the most calmness also has their moments of breaking down. Like that's what makes people human. And I really appreciate that. I also think when she's talking about, you know, Pete and all of that, and she's like, it was so new, you know, I, I didn't know what dating was for so long. She's like, I'd been in a relationship for all these years. And she talks about, you know, there is a part of her that's a little bit intimidated by the fact that she knows people may be fearful of dating her because of the way that Kanye made Pete's life a hell, basically. And she's like, I'm not going to live like that. I'm definitely in my fun zone. She even talks about that on Goop. You know, she's, I think she's trying really hard to get in touch with the fun that she wants to be having. And I think it's really hard when she feels so weighed down by all of that negativity. But like, I, I do believe that these next few years of Kim's life may be some of her most fun. I really, really do. I do too. And I, I hope so. And I, I think that, you know, it's interesting that she still says that she's looking for kind of the the next one and it being the right one. Like she really, I think, feels confident that she will get married again and that it will be her forever person. And that even she said in the Goop podcast, like the idea of having another baby is, is still on the table. And so it's so interesting to listen to her talk about Kanye and not even the aftermath of Kanye because she's still so in it that she can't even call it the aftermath, but also then the aftermath of Pete during the not aftermath of Kanye and also talking about looking ahead to the future. It's just, it was a lot of topics that I feel like Kim was speaking about pretty candidly that we're not used to. Like, you know, anytime that she speaks about Kanye or has spoken about him in the past. And again, she did that for the most part here, but I don't, think it was as much as it has been in the past, but it was always through the lens of protecting him and like really speaking very kindly of him, no matter what, in an effort to protect him. This was the first time that I think we were allowed to see that side of her because it was solely about protecting her kids with no regard for, not no regard, but no responsibility for having to protect this man anymore. Yeah. And I think that that is something she's still navigating because it's so unfamiliar to her, but it in some ways is very freeing. I, you know, the age old question we constantly go to is like, so who's Kim going to date next? And like, if you thought I was confused before, if you thought that I was shell shocked by the initial Pete rumors and then the, you know, initial Pete paparazzi photos, I know for a fact I will be more shocked by whoever this next person is. Cause now we've seen her do that. You know, we've seen her do the wild card. It's like, what is is this next one one that we're supposed to be taking even more serious? Like I I'm so frustrated that I have no fucking idea who it's gonna be or even what like genre of career or type of person. And I is anyone else feeling this frustration? Like, okay, this is literally the type of thing I would only say on this podcast because I sound absolutely ridiculous. I feel like I know Kim as well as you could possibly know another human being that you don't actually know. Like I recognize there's definitely some parasocial relationship that exists with her, but I also think when you watch someone on a reality television show for 22 seasons, like 
you just have a pretty good understanding of the person. And it's like, that's something I take a lot of pride in coupled with the fact that like, I am so lost on this one, (laughs) you know? I mean, because think about it though, Em, anybody that she has dated in the course of being on the Kardashians and us knowing her in the public light has not been anybody that you could have predicted. The only reason that you could have predicted Kanye is because they had this history together. It was clearly destined that they would end up together, whether it was long-term or in some capacity. So you were only able to predict that because all of the showings were there, not because they necessarily made so much sense together, not because you would have necessarily picked him out of lineup and said like, oh, that's so Kim's type. That's so who she has to end up with. Like everybody has kind of been a wild card. I know. I know. It's it's just so frustrating. And like, I don't want her to jump into a relationship, but like for our sake in terms of the excitement from pop culture, like I kind of want her to have a fling, you know? That's exactly it. And both of those things exist. Like, I don't want her to necessarily jump into a full-blown relationship, but like, do I want to get a TMZ notification of Kim on a date? Uh, Maybe more than anything in the entire world. So like, yeah. (laughs) Oh God. It's really true. We said at the beginning about feeling safe here. Like I feel so safe here, like in this episode, you know? There's like a hundred things that I've said throughout the course of this episode that I would have never admitted in the regular episode. Apartments.com believes a dishwasher does more than just clean plates. It turns your whole place into a time machine by turning the time you would have spent washing dishes into extra time for you. That could mean more time to read, more time to knit, or more time to contemplate the vastness of time itself. With Apartments.com, finding somewhere to live with an elusive dishwashing slash time-expanding device is easy. And listen, we all have our non-negotiables in terms of what we really want when looking for an apartment. I know for me, natural light has always been really important. I just know myself and I am a happier person when I have that natural light throughout the day. And I also told myself that in my next place, I will definitely have a washer and dryer because you just can't beat that convenience. And I know it can be hard to find, but when you find it, I think it is so worth it. Apartments.com hosts the most rental listings with over 1 million available units. And with comprehensive search tools and instant alerts, you never have to worry about missing out on the perfect place. To find whatever you're searching for and more, visit Apartments.com. The place to find a place. Have you ever noticed how celebrities have brighter, whiter looking eyes? Their makeup artists have a little secret in their kit. Lumify Redness Reliever Eye Drops. Lumify dramatically reduces redness in just one minute. It literally happens right before your eyes to help them look brighter, whiter, and more awake for up to eight hours. No wonder it's so loved by influencers, celebrities, and makeup artists, and has over 6,000 five-star reviews on Amazon. Lumify is also the number one eye doctor recommended redness reliever eye drop and it's FDA approved. No bleach, no dyes. Plus it's made by the eye care experts at Bausch & Lomb. So whether you're on set, on a date or running on just a few hours of sleep, you can have eyes that look brighter and whiter with Lumify eye drops. When you try it, you'll see that it's what your eyes have been looking for. Check out lumifyeyes.com to learn more. Wait, I do want to talk about the Christmas party for a second. I don't know how you guys felt. Like, obviously, I fucking live and die for that content. But there have been years that we've gotten some more lit content. Not to say the other years were more lit, but it just appeared more lit. Who am I to say I wasn't there? Yeah, I mean, listen. 
The Christmas party that Kim hosted will forever live in infamy. Like that was it. The content from it was it. The the insight, the, uh, everything. And so, yeah, will I spend my days comparing it to that one and all of the ones before it? Of course. Do I wish there was a little bit more content? Of course. Do I wish that there was a little bit more insight? Duh. Am I going to bash what we got? Not in a million years. No, I mean, listen, if we're going to compare it to Kim's party where her and Paris Hilton are sledding down a fake snow mountain that she had in her backyard, we're going to be disappointed. At the same time, I am very happy for Courtney. I think this is something that she really wants. I'm also going to tell you, I say this not a lot, but there are definitely a few times when I said this, the most recent times I can recall is the White House Correspondents' Dinner and the Kardashian's Hulu premiere where her hair was up in that silver latex dress. This to me was the favorite I've seen Kim look in a really, really long time. And that sparkly Versace with her brown hair back, like that's it. To me, when you ask me what image do I see when I think of Kim, it's that right there. Long brown wavy hair, tight, sparkly, long dress, not her fucking hands covered with this Balenciaga bullshit. Like this is OG Kim to me. My greatest joy was Kim finally debuting being back to brunette and everyone DMing us being like, oh my God, Em, she did it for you. Like she did it guys. Like <laughs> how happy are you everybody? Like I was like, yes, like thank you. I'm, I feel so seen. You felt so seen. Like it was such a beautiful moment for all of us. I'm sure you guys felt so seen. Like, yes, like we did it. We did it, Joe. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm like both so deeply embarrassed that I relate to what you're saying, but also so proud of the fact that like we've clearly made it known enough how strongly we feel about the brunette that that people get it. Yeah, I was thrilled for that one. By the way, if I was thrilled, imagine how thrilled her roots are. You know, like she this was not good for her. In that TikTok that North posted where, you know, she doesn't have any extensions and you can see her hair has really been damaged by all of the dying. And I think like give it a minute. Let's let it breathe. I'm glad you said that about North's TikTok because we had been speaking about that a lot. Like that was a really humanizing moment to see Kim like that. No, I know. And that is a perfect example of the North effect in the sense that Kim is never more humbled than when in North's presence or doing a TikTok that she honestly has no interest in doing, but she's doing it because she knows if not, like North is not going to be happy. And I agree. Seeing Kim with her short hair, no extensions, probably with a hair mask in and Skim's pajamas on her bed, like it's it's humanizing. Definitely. Trying to think, is there anything else that you want to mention? Oh, by the way, Kylie and Kendall doing Aspen with like Haley, Justin, Stoss, Carter, the whole nine. Love that vibe for them. I was just going to say, this isn't a story, but I would have done anything to be an Aspen for New Year's. Actually, that's not true. I would not have traded spending New Year's together in the way that we did it for anything in the entire world ever. I am genuinely saying that. But if somebody told me that the next day I could fly to Aspen and hang out with them, I would have done so. <laughs> I was going to say, I would not have traded our New Year's with like all of us stoned with my dad for anything in my life. I, I hold those memories so close to my heart because it's so important to me. It always has been my whole life to spend New Year's with my parents and then to somehow get this group of friends who like also want that's all they want to do like people are traveling from across the country to literally hang out with like 
us and my dad and like it just works. That's my it's my dream. I can't believe it's a reality, but I would have gotten on a plane the next day. Not not early the next day, like maybe a, a 1 p.m. flight. Yeah, and that would have been totally fair and doable. Yeah. Okay, well, we love you guys. I don't know what just happened. Like, by the way, Julie, no idea what just happened. No idea ever. <laughs> but we love you guys. Thank you for listening. Thank you for letting us do this. We are back. Isabel and I will be back tomorrow for Bravo. And can't wait to talk about Lisa Hochstein. We love you guys. Um,